So greetings to you all. I welcome any of you joining us online. I know the roads were icy, and so I'm glad we could offer the online service. It's my privilege today to bear witness to the good news, the gospel. Are you ready for the gospel? Yeah. Amen. We are returning today to Luke's gospel. It feels like we've been years in Luke's gospel. Well, it's because we have been years in Luke's gospel. Uh, and we're come to chapter 22, which is actually the longest chapter in the Gospel of Luke, and where uh, Christ's suffering begins. Christ's suffering begins at this point in Luke's Gospel, and it really begins with a sobering scene. A sentence from John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. That book captures the seriousness of the text we're about to look at today. If you've not read Pilgrim's Progress... I will buy you a copy. I will buy you a copy. Children, ask your parents to buy you a copy of the children's version, or I'll buy you a copy because it's really good, the picture's in it. I have actually read this adventure story to many children. It may well be that I like it better than them sometimes. Uh, It's a wonderful story. Uh, It's an allegorical journey of a man named Christian who leaves the city of destruction And he takes a journey to the celestial city. And he faces along the way manifold troubles, trials, temptations, there's traps. It's a long, hard journey with many, many disappointments and sorrows. But then comes that final chapter. And Christian and his friend Hopeful arrive at the celestial city. They walk through the gate and they find it's heaven. I mean, it's more than they could have ever asked for or imagined. They come into the presence of God, and it's amazing. It was worth every hard step along the way. They find rest from their labors, freedom from sin and shame. They have reunion with relatives past. And then comes that final paragraph and a supremely sobering statement. In that last paragraph, a fellow named Ignorance arrives at the city gate after them. They'd actually encountered him earlier because he too had left the city of destruction. But they didn't journey with him because Ignorance decided to go his own path. Now Ignorance arrives at the gate and he knocks. And it doesn't open. He cries out, I ate with the king. I was with him. I knew him. But the guards ask him for his certificate. And ignorance doesn't have one. And two shining beings come down and they bind him hand and foot and they take him away to his forever destiny, not in the celestial city. And Christian's final words in this book are very sobering. I think they capture our text. He says this, I saw that there was a way to hell, even from the gates of heaven, as well as from the city of destruction. There is a way to hell, even from the gates of heaven. Friends, do you have your certificate? Let's pray before we read this sobering text. High and holy, meek and lowly God, thank you for taking mind of lowly us. 
you have called us here today to show us that you have provided a way of escape through your son, Jesus Christ, that we might glorify and enjoy you forever. Father, will you rend the heavens and come down this morning? If we believe, help our unbelief. If we think we stand, grant that today we might take heed lest we fall. And if we have yet to take a hold of the gospel that you freely offer, may today be that wonderful day we do business with you for your glory, for our good, and so that the angels might throw a heavenly party as a sinner comes to repentance. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 22. Actually, I'm going to read the last two verses of chapter 21. It's found in page 5 in your bulletin. Now hear the word of our God and a very sobering text. And every day he, Jesus, was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray them, him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Do you find this text sobering? It sobered me as I read it, meditated on it, as I prayed over it. This text, along with many other biblical texts, reveals there are folks who walk the walk of a Christian, who talk the talk of a Christian, who arrive at the very gates of heaven, but end up going to hell. Do you find that staggering? Now, I am not saying that you can lose your salvation. I, you cannot lose your salvation. If you're trusting in Jesus' work, if you're repenting and obeying God, if you are seeking the Spirit's help in your weak moments, then press on, dear soul, knowing that the Father is smiling on you even in the midst of your struggles. But the story of Judas, it warns us that some professing believers do not persevere to the end. I'll be honest, it blows my mind. I want to say, Judas... How could you do what you did? After walking with the Lord Jesus, witnessing his perfect love and kindness, and then you commit the most dreadful deed that's ever been committed in human history. 
You sell off Jesus, the Lord Jesus, the living Lord, for a chunk of change. Judas stands as the example that even the greatest professor may not be a possessor. Judas never welcomed the Savior in, and as a result, Judas opened his heart for Satan to enter in. Judas came to trust and obey Satan's lies instead of the Savior who loved him all the way to the end. Actually, I, John Calvin, he can be accused of many things. A lot of them should probably read John 13, his talk on that. He talks about that final night where Jesus puts on the apron of a servant, gets water, gets down on his hands and knees, and begins to wash each and every one of his disciples' feet. And Jesus notes that not all of you are clean, but Jesus refuses to name the betrayer. But rather, can you imagine being Judas, knowing Jesus knows? And Jesus gets down on his hands and knees and begins to wash your dirty feet. You know what Calvin says? That Jesus did it in hopes that Judas might be touched with a feeling of repentance, lest he should shut the gate against him. Judas was at the very gates of heaven and he hardened his heart as Jesus washed his feet. I'm writing this sermon and it's a sobering text, but I'm hoping that we will commit ourselves to better loving the one who has loved us and loves us supremely, even now. I'm saying this because I want each and every one of you to make your calling and election sure. I'm saying this so that to encourage you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And notice I said work out, not work for your salvation. Work out the salvation already won for you. comes down to simply trust and obey, for there's no other way to glory. And that's what Jesus wants to encourage you to do today. So let's dig in. Verse 37, And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet, and early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Now, Luke is summing up what Jesus did in the last week of his public ministry. (laughs) Think about it. (laughs) The true temple is in the earthly temple, teaching. Heaven has come to earth. That's something for you guys to talk over coffee about this afternoon, but we've got to focus on some other things. It's remarkable. What we need to recall is the topic of his teaching, which I know all of you remember very well. After all, we did two parts on Luke's 21 sermon of October of last year. You all remember that, right? Take that back. It looks like Jesse remembers. I saw him nod his head, which means he's actually doing better than I because I had to go back and reread it. So Jesus' final teaching in the temple, Luke 21, what was he saying? He was warning the folks to be ready to flee Jerusalem, the city of destruction. That's what Jesus was warning them to do. In the last couple verses, Jesus said this, but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, lest that day come upon you suddenly like for it will come upon all who dwell upon the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. How do you escape the city of destruction? Jesus warned, be watchful and be wakeful. Be watchful and be wakeful. 
be watchful because our hearts can get weighed down with life's cares. You know, we live in the city of destruction too. Yes, Jesus spoke specifically of Jerusalem's end, but did you hear what I read there? He added it's going to come upon all who dwell upon the face of the whole earth. Here's a question you should ask yourself this week. How invested are you in this place? How invested are you in this place? There's a whole lot of hearts professing Christians who are weighed down with life's cares right now. It's why church attendance is plummeting, has been for many years. Unlike this scene, actually. Luke tells us that all the people are coming early in the morning to hear Jesus in the temple. There's so many people that the religious leaders can't even move in on Jesus when they want to kill him. And here we are, like so many other churches, with many empty seats. And not just because of the weather today. It's normal, right? We see lots of empty seats here. Because church is not a priority. Earthly cares rank higher than going to church for many professing Christians. Some of you may say, well, Pastor Joel, if Jesus were in the pulpit at Heart City this morning, I'd be there. No, you wouldn't, dear soul. No, you wouldn't. Or if you did, it'd only be about his celebrity or his miracles. Not because you'd loved him and desired to be in his presence. And John 16, 7 is why I can say that. Jesus said as he's preparing to go, it is better for you that I leave. How could it be better that Jesus leaves? Because Jesus went to heaven so that he could pour out his spirit, so that he could be more present here on earth than he was when he was in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Jesus is more present here and now. Anywhere where God's people meet to worship, to hear his word faithfully preached, where the table is, Jesus is more present here. I'm not saying this so that I can be happy about a full church, though I certainly would be. I'm saying this because I love you. I'm saying this because I care about you. And I don't want you to be ignorant and standing at the gate. Jesus is telling us here, and he tells us elsewhere, that worldly cares are like thorn bushes. They can choke out your spiritual life. In fact, many in this temple, all these people showing up, they're going to tire of Jesus preaching about worldly cares and the destruction of the city. And in chapter 23, they're going to say, Away with this man! Crucify him! I want to speak to you online right now, and I am glad we can offer this service to you. And I know on a day when the weather's bad, I'm glad that you guys can stay home and stay safe. That shouldn't be your pattern. If you happen to be checking out Heart City Church, please check us out online once or twice. But then you need to find a church. Don't say that we're your church if you're only watching us online. We're not your church if you're only watching us online. The fellowship of the saints is essential. And it's important that you be where Jesus is. I say that in love. We need to come into Jesus' presence, and you do that here at the church. We believe in his word, that it's given to us in love, and let it impact us. Pastor Marcus talked about true repentance, being compelled by the love of Jesus last week. Repentance comes by coming into Jesus' presence and allowing that light to shine in on our lives. Some questions for us in terms of being watchful. Do we let Jesus' word, do we let it enter into the closets of our lives? Get at those skeletons that are still there. 
When we leave here after service and we go about our lives, are we watching what we're taking in so that we're not being weighed down by the cares of this life? What are you reading? What are you watching during the week? What are you hearing? What are you playing? What are you dreaming about? Is it life-giving and helping you on your way to the celestial city? All right, we're a few minutes into the sermon. Are you awake right now? That's the other thing Jesus said. Praying for strength to endure. Another Pastor Joel sermon. That was morning number two. You ever nodded off while driving late at night? I've done it. I remember many years back, younger man, I was invincible, could stay awake, you know, drink enough energy drinks. I nodded off, crossed the center line. Man, I was suddenly awakened by the horn. And I saw the lights and I swerved out of the way just in time. Well, I was awake then because that could have been it. Friends, Luke 22 is a wake-up call text. So let's get into it. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. The scene in Jerusalem is Passover, the great holiday. This is when Jews gathered from everywhere to celebrate how great God had been in delivering them from the Egyptian empire. And look what we have here. The full spectrum of religious leaders coming together in common cause. You see, the chief priests, they're actually liberal-leaning. They're the ones who would be sacrificing the lambs for the people so they'd be freed from their sins. You have on the other side the scribes. These are the conservatives. They're the ones who studied the scripture, that taught of the Messiah. They knew him really well. The very men on both sides who should have welcomed the anointed Lamb of God who has finally been sent. They're all plotting to murder him. Luke shows us that any church leader is capable of the worst sins. Does this shock you? Probably not. (laughs) Scandals are constantly in the headlines, right? Pastors. I remember well that day in seminary when my ethics professor didn't show up to class. And another faculty member came in and gave us future church leaders a very sobering speech. He informed us that our professor, who was also an ordained minister, had been caught cheating on his wife and had been going on for many decades. He would not return, of course, to teach us ethics. He looked us in the eye, and I remember him warning us that none of us were immune from falling away from God. And the particular temptation for church leaders is influence. Leaders love being liked by people. They love having power, influence, power over people. People quickly become idols for leaders. They become, people become big and God becomes small. It leads to affairs. It leads to abuse. And it also leads to causing Jesus' sheep to stumble. J.C. Ryle writes, well, he says, Let us beware of attaching excessive importance to ministers of religion because of their office. Orders and ranks confer no exemption from error. We must all try. We must try all errors, teachers, sorry. We must try all teachers by the unerring rule of the word of God. So I'm going to remind you and I'm going to remind me 
that while I have a responsibility to show you the way to salvation, you are responsible to know your Bibles too and to see if what I'm teaching actually lines up with what God's Word says. I've been helped by people. Hey, Joel, you said this. Oh, wow. Thank you. I'm saying this because you need and you're privileged to be receiving God's implanted Word every day. Friends, there's a battlefield out there right now. Forces of darkness and the forces of light waging war. And your Bible, it provides you correction. It trains us in righteousness. It equips you so you can do good works. Mattering things. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. So we saw the temptations of worldly cares. We see the temptations that come by power. Now we come to Judas and his temptation. Verse 3. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. A long, long time ago, you'll remember Luke 4. How Satan had to tuck tail and depart after failing to tempt Jesus. And Luke noted there he was waiting for an opportune time. The time has come. You can imagine these religious leaders. They're racking their brains trying to figure out a way to take out Jesus. But the problem is Jesus has a huge following. He's too popular right now. And they fear the people. Also fear losing face in front of them. They're huddling up. They're racking their brains. How in the world are we going to separate Jesus from his followers? Oh, what are we going to do? Got nothing. And suddenly Judas walks up. He says, I can let you know when he'll be alone. See, I'm in the inner circle. Let's make a deal. Do <laughs> you think these guys were surprised? Of course. This is one of Jesus' hand-picked disciples. An apostle. One who had been in Jesus' inner circle for three years. Think about it. He has the highest office in the whole church. There's nothing higher than apostle. At this moment, the apostle apostatizes. Why? Ching. He did it for money. He does it for love of money. In the other gospel accounts, we see that Judas was actually the treasurer. He carried the money bag and he used to skim off the top. He was a thief. Judas loved money more than Judas loved Jesus. There's reason to believe that Judas was probably the first to figure out that Jesus was actually serious, that Jesus had come to Jerusalem to die, not bring in this great earthly kingdom that they were all happy about and excited. Jesus is saying, ah, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Jesus, that's not going to be popular. <laughs> I think Judas is actually a very shrewd businessman. He's the first to see that Jesus' stock is about to go down. And he's like, I'm selling my shares while I still can. Judas had a superficial, phony relationship with Jesus. Jesus can get me money? Ah, yeah, I love, I'm all in. Why is the prosperity gospel so popular today? I hate the prosperity gospel. Makes me want to be a hermit sometimes as I'm up here as a minister. 
Don't think for a minute that Satan was an uninvited, unwelcome guest when Luke says he entered Judas. It's not that Satan invaded, it's that Satan was invited. That's how sin works. Satan says, hmm, here's something better than God. It's this trick from the get-go. In the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3. The Beatles once sang, the best things in life are free, but you can give that to the birds and bees, now give me money. Judas had the best thing in the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it was free. Friends, there is not one of us here who are immune to that temptation. J.C. Ryle says, it's possible to love money without having it and to have money without loving it. Whether you're rich or penniless, greed threatens us all. I served at the pantry for years. How many people told me, oh, my big hope is to win the lottery? Usually I was praying they wouldn't because I could see what would happen to them if they did. We all get it though, right? You ever hear the cha-ching, the cash flowing down, and suddenly you're like, oh, and that's that Pink Floyd money song. But it got my attention as soon as it started, all right? Money, get away. Get a good job with more pay and you're okay. Money, it's a gas. Grab it with both hands and make a stash. Friends, worldly cares can get us. Love of power can get us. But love of money can especially get us. Paul once wrote, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's not just Paul. You know, Jesus warns us about greed more than he warns us about sexual sin. I don't think many churches know that or preach that. And here's why. Nobody thinks they have a problem with greed. Tim Keller was talking about he once did a sermon series or a series on the seven deadly sins. And he said, folks, packed out the place to hear about lust, to hear about wrath, even to hear about pride. What was the lowest attendance of any of them? Greed. Here's what he said. Nobody thinks they're greedy. As a pastor, I've had people come to me to confess that they struggle with almost every kind of sin. Almost. I cannot recall anyone ever coming to me and saying, I spend too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul, and people around me. He comments, greed hides itself from the victim. The money god's modus operandi includes blindness to our own heart. I would venture to you that Judas didn't think he was greedy. He could tell you, I've given up everything to follow Jesus. I'm following that homeless guy. You think I'm greedy? Take a little off the top? I don't have a problem. I hope you're sobered. All of us can easily fall in the trap. Love of money. And we're blind to it. So what do we do? What do we do? It's kept professors from becoming possessors. Friends, the answer is actually simple. It's to remind ourselves each and every day that Jesus has provided all that you need. Everything that you need. 
God is our Jehovah Jireh. He will provide whatever you need. He has everything under control and he can give you anything you need and all you have to do is trust and obey. Let's look at this last section. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room that, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. Four times we hear the word Passover. Luke is emphasizing Jesus came to be the final Passover lamb to pay for sins. Jesus left the riches of heaven in order to make us his special treasure by the cross. Friends, nobody has ever loved you more or better than Jesus Christ. Do you know that love? And he promises that everything will work out for you if you'll simply trust and obey. Judas and the religious leaders, they're ready to snap the trap on Jesus. They think they got him. <laughs> but Jesus knows Judas better than Judas knows Judas. He's been reading him like a book. And he's not going to let anybody know about this location, the last Passover meal. In fact, Jesus is using Satan's schemes to bring about his own end at his own time and for our salvation. Jesus is in complete control of all things. Remember that when you watch the news this week, okay? <laughs> he sends Peter and John on a mission to find a man carrying a water jar in the big city that has probably hundreds of thousands of people. <laughs> hey, go find the guy with the baseball cap, <laughs> right? Now we'd be thinking, yeah, this is a fine mission. Try to find one guy. Actually, this man would stand out because the men carried leather skins wrapped around their chest. Only the women carried the big heavy water jars. And I confess, this is a raw deal for the ladies, all right? I, <laughs> not very sensitive to the men of this culture. So you ladies actually have to appreciate this guy who's carrying a water jar. I don't know if his wife gave him an earful for acting like his soft leather was so tough to carry and everything, or maybe he's in the doghouse for not doing the dishes. <laughs> Maybe he was simply humbling himself. What we do know is that he was doing a very menial task. And it's a mattering thing what he's doing. I don't mean to belabor this, but I was actually encouraged by this fellow. Because one day when I'm in heaven in the celestial city, I'm going to look for Mr. Water Jar Guy. He might be hired to find if he doesn't have a water jar still at the time. <laughs> if i got plenty of time, all the time I need in heaven. Because this guy who doesn't even ever get named, makes it in the Bible for doing a menial task. And his task has ripple effects that are even reaching a little church in Elkhart, Indiana, 2,000 years later. You ever get discouraged when you feel like you're doing things for the Lord and they're totally unnoticed? <laughs> Friends, there's ripple effects beyond what we can see. And one day, you can have a party with the water jar guy in heaven to celebrate all you've done when God reveals it. I know we need to land the plane, so let's get back to Peter and John. They're sent off on a really odd mission, right? Find this fellow who's acting really strange and follow him. Go into the house, pop in and say, hey, by the way, uh, the teacher wants to know where his room is. How would you like to follow a, strange, a person acting strange into an unknown place and then tell the owner uh, you're expecting a furnished room at the time when there's like no place and the capital's packed? 
friends, childlike faith. They believe Jesus. They take him at his word. They trust and obey. And what's the result? Verse 13, and they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. They're ushered up into a perfect place, completely furnished. And all they have to do is go get the lamb at the temple. Anybody think this was a faith builder right before the world's about to crash? They see that their Lord has everything he spoke about under his control. And they're beginning to see there's a lot of things Jesus has under his control that they didn't even know about. They don't know there's a plot that's foot. But Jesus has that under control as well. Because he is, in fact, not just their teacher. He is their creator who has come in the fullness of time, come to be that final Passover lamb by sacrificing his life, his life on the cross, to save anyone who would believe from sin, death, and the devil. But he first must have this last meal with those he loves. The Lord is ordering everything, my friends, everything in the universe for their glory, their good, and for ours as well. R.C. Sproul writes, If God is the creator of the entire universe, then it must follow that he is the Lord of the whole universe. No part of the world is outside his lordship. That means that no part of my life must be outside of his lordship. There's your certificate. Trust and obey. We take this on our pilgrimage. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his life sacrifice sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Faith that then turns every day from sin to do his will. And friends, you will be happy in Jesus. I know a lot of unhappy people right now. And the more this culture moves away from Christian principles, the more unhappy they're going to be. Try obeying Jesus in small ways this week, new small ways. And discover rest for your soul. Discover happiness. And find yourself one day at that gate. Be able to hold that certificate up. May all of us be found with that certificate on the last day. If you don't have that certificate, don't delay any longer. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for sending your only begotten Son into our world to save sinners ensnared by Satan. I confess that I am a sinner and that Jesus is the only source of salvation, the sacrifice given for all who believe. Will you give me your Holy Spirit because I want no part of my life to be outside his Lordship. And help me, help me to live a life of trust and growing obedience for all my days that you might be glorified. And I thank you that one day I will now stand before your gate and have entrance into eternal joy because of you and your plan of salvation alone. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.